If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 6. If you're visiting us and you do not own a Bible, it is found in the Pew Bibles. It's found on page 1046. And if you don't own a Bible, please take it as a gift from us. Beloved, what is your why behind the things that you do? In your service, what is your motive? Whether you're preaching or teaching or singing. In your workplace, what is the motive behind the things that you do? See, what's true is in order for a deed to truly be commendable, one's actions and one's motive is very important. Many of us can attest to doing loving deeds and acts of service with intentional, with, with loving hearts to where we are seeking their good. And others of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we can also attest to doing loving deeds Good actions with selfish motives. And one of the ways by which it is exposed is how do we react when we don't get the response we were hoping? That usually reveals our motivations behind what we have done. You see, our acts and our motives are both important. It's not enough to do good in and of itself. One must also have a heart posture of desiring to do good for the good of others, for the glory of God, and not for the exaltation of ourselves. You see, this is true in everything, and it is especially true in ministry. You see, the God who is over us, he sees all our deeds and our motives, our hands and our hearts, our proclamation, and our heart posture. It matters to him. Beloved, if we're going to do things that please him, our deeds and our motives both must be God-centered and not self-centered. It must have a Godward orientation where we do things his way according to his purposes for his glory because we love him. It's one of the things that we will see in this morning's passage. The question for you to consider is, what is your motive for ministry? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. 
for we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. You may be seated. Our big idea for this morning's passage is this, do ministry faithfully to God's glory. Do ministry faithfully to God's glory. I have two points. They're words of exhortations for us. If we're going to do faithfully ministry, do ministry faithfully to God's glory, first we must be emboldened by God. And we must aim to please God. We must be emboldened by God. And we must aim to please God. So for a little bit of context, last week we finished chapter 1. We saw Paul, he celebrated both the ultimate root of saving faith and the fruit of saving faith in the Thessalonians. As he himself was informed of the impact that he has had upon them. As Timothy brought this report to the apostle. Well, that wasn't the only thing that Timothy reported to Paul. Timothy had informed Paul that there were some who were outsiders in Thessalonica. They have slandered him. His message, his character, his motive, and his method. You see, they attacked his motive in order to discredit his message. Well, in this morning's passage, Paul is going to defend his ministry and his motives, where he makes known, he reminds them that he was not self-centered in anything, but God-centered in everything. Which brings us to our first point, that we are to be emboldened by God. And before we get into the first verse, it is important for us to backtrack to chapter 1, verses 5 and verse 9, because what Paul introduced in those verses, he's going to substantiate in chapter 2. He says in verse 5, at the end of it, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. And in verse 9, he says, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. See, that was at introduction in chapter 2. He's going to unpack that going in on his ministry, his motive, and his method among the Thessalonians that they themselves know as he reminds them of his time there with them. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. You see, Paul and his companions, their coming to the Thessalonians wasn't purposeless. It wasn't empty in any way. And the Thessalonians, they knew it. You see, Paul, he intentionally came there with the gospel because he has been sent by God. Remind you, he is an apostle to the Gentiles, where he goes to them to bring the gospel, telling them about Jesus, his person, and his work, calling them to place their faith in Christ as Jesus has ransomed both Jew and Gentile, making known that his concern was not his personal agenda, but his goal was to do God's will. And it wasn't in vain in the least bit. 
So much so that he would say in verse 2, On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. So Paul's, his experience in Philippi was both horrendous and it was well known. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 40 gives a detailed account of Paul and Silas's suffering for the gospel. See, in that chapter, we see that Paul, he had cast out a demon. Then him and Silas, they were taken, stripped, flogged, and imprisoned without a trial, which was forbidden against Roman citizens. And even after humiliation, that Paul himself has experienced, he said that they spoke the gospel of God to the Thessalonians in spite of great opposition. They still preached the gospel even after suffering for it. Similar to the civil rights movement, how they received opposition, but the opposition didn't stop their advancement. Not the water hose or Jim Crow will hear In this section, Paul makes known that gospel opposition will not stop gospel advancement. You see, affliction on account of Jesus will not lead him to be silent about Jesus. Beloved, the reality is affliction for Christ is not unique to the apostles. Christians throughout every generation have been persecuted for believing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, if we preach the cross faithfully, there will be a cross for ourselves to endure. The question for us is, will affliction for Jesus lead us to be silent about him? Will criticism result in us no longer speaking his name? Well, the answer to that question is contingent upon who is the center of our ministry. Is our ministry God-centered or is it self-centered? Because if it is centered upon the self, when things get tough, we will get out. It is natural for us to pursue our own comfort, to want ease, to preserve ourselves, our reputation, and our image. But when our ministry is centered upon God, beloved, we will persevere by his grace even as we suffer for his name. And not only that, but the suffering is expected because he himself has made it known that we will suffer for his name. When our ministry is centered upon God, we are concerned about his name being honored among the nations, even at the expense of our very own lives, because he is glorious and he is worthy of suffering. Because our aim is to glorify him because we love him. Notice how the Apostle Paul spoke of the gospel. In verse 2, he calls it the gospel of God. It finds its origin in God. The gospel is from him. It was prophesied by the prophets as they pointed to Jesus' person and work. The content of the gospel is none other than Jesus Christ himself the Son of God who became man, who lived this earth, who suffered and died on the cross to atone for sin, taking upon the punishment that sinners rightfully deserve and three days later resurrecting. 
It is about him and all who believe that message are saved by his grace alone. You see, this gospel is first and foremost a message. Did you see? Paul would say that they spoke the gospel of God. In college, I remember hearing some brothers say, always be preaching the gospel and when necessary, use words. Now, I understand what they're trying to get at. But, but the reality is that if you do not use words, then, beloved, you are not preaching the gospel. It is impossible to preach the gospel apart from using words. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing? And how can they hear without a preacher? Verse 17 would say, Faith comes not from seeing, but faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, godly living is important. In fact, Paul is going to get into that in the next section of chapter 2. But, beloved, we only preach the gospel when we use words. As important as godly living is, may we not reduce preaching the gospel to living godly. Because God doesn't. And neither should we. Paul brought the gospel to them, suffered on account of the gospel, and yet he says that they brought the gospel to them and preached in spite of great opposition. How is it that Paul persevered in preaching the gospel while knowing that he will suffer for preaching the gospel? How is it possible? Because we need to know. We need to know the secret. And the Apostle Paul makes the secret known. Look what he says in verse 2. He says that we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. God strengthened and empowered the apostle to persevere in boldly proclaiming the good news in spite of the opposition that he himself has experienced. You see, we need God's help in preaching the gospel because apart from God emboldening us, we will not preach. Spiritual warfare is so real that we will be scared to proclaim the good news of Christ to those we fear who will oppose us. The fear of man is truly a snare. Think about the Apostle Peter during Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus said that all of you guys are going to scatter. Peter said, I won't deny you. I'll die with you. And then the very next thing, the moment he saw the suffering that Jesus was about to endure, they said, you wanted them. He was like, nah, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. He said it three times. You see, if we were to rely upon ourselves, we're going to be silent about Jesus because we don't want to endure even half of what Jesus endured at the hands of men, which is why we need God's help. Only God can strengthen us to where we can be confident and fearless in boldly proclaiming the good news in spite of the consequences that we may endure. Beloved, if we're going to do ministry in any kind, whether it's preaching or serving the marginalized, we need God's strength to persevere, that we may endure the opposition that we will experience. 
One of the wonderful things about this verse is that it testifies that God emboldens his people. He strengthens us. He gives us courage, which means he sees us in our weakness. He is aware and not blind to it. It also shows that he hasn't abandoned us, but that he is present and that he is a helper. Beloved, he helps us with courage that only come from him. You see, this boldness doesn't come natural. It is supernatural. It comes from God, and it comes to us by his grace. He grants real courage to be bold about Christ despite the consequences. Now, the reality is, since he does it, the question is, how does he do it? How can we get that boldness to preach in spite of consequences? Well, Scripture is clear that one of the ways by which he does this is through prayer. Acts chapter 4, as the apostles were threatened for preaching the gospel, verse 29, they say this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Verse 31, it says, And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled had shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Paul tells this congregation, Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might boldly, pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Beloved, if we are going to preach the gospel with boldness, we need to pray fervently, both individually and corporately. And y'all, this is one of the things that we do in our evening service. We pray for the Lord to grant us courage in proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, and our friends. We recognize that we need God's help. God knows that we need his help. And he grants real courage as he fills us with his spirit. Until so the question is, beloved, are you praying for courage as you pray for opportunities to share the good news of Christ? Are you praying for courage as you seek to do ministry knowing that there will be opposition? Y'all, these are great prayers to pray for one another as we pray through the membership directory. So one of the ways by which he grants us this courage is through prayer. Also, as we think about it, through the testimonies when we hear other brothers and sisters are boldly preaching the gospel. Y'all, when we hear of people's testimonies, we are strengthened, built up. Like, man, if God could use them in that way, that very same God can use me. Which is why testimonies are so important as we testify God's work in us and through us. So, beloved, may we hear those testimonies and may we pray. And as we pray, may we also open our mouths. You see, we can't pray for courage and then be silent. We have to put some feet to our faith and open our mouths and speak the name of Jesus to people. 
One of the ways by which we know that God has granted courage is by us opening our mouths and sharing the gospel. (laughs) So may we be bold by his grace, strengthened in these ways. Beloved, we have to be emboldened by God to do ministry because as the culture becomes more and more hostile to the gospel, as a culture opposes more and more biblical teachings of Christianity, as they seek to push the church to the margins, being emboldened by God will become more and more necessary, especially if we're going to be faithful in spite of the suffering and the humiliation that we will experience on account of Jesus' name. If we're going to be bold, if we're going to endure, then we need to depend not upon ourselves, but upon our God. Because we are weak, but he's mighty. And he really does give grace. That's one of the amazing things about our God, is that he gives courage. As we ask in faith, He responds by his grace. He loves to answer these prayers because it brings him glory. His power is made known in our weakness. And all of it does, it points to him. So, beloved, may we pray for boldness. May we pray to be emboldened to speak the name of Jesus regardless of what may happen to us. So as we do ministry, We are to be emboldened by God. But not only are we to be emboldened by God, our aim is to please God, which brings us to our next point. Our aim is to please God. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Here Paul defends his ministry his message, and his motive. As detractors are accusing God of, of, not God, but they're accusing Paul of falsehood, saying that he has ulterior motives, that he's seeking to deceive them, Paul combats these false allegations. He says our exhortation didn't come from error. Paul's message was the gospel. Its origin is in God who is truth. The very God who never lies, it is the message that God gave Paul and that Paul proclaims. See, Paul is faithfully preaching what God has spoken. And his aim is to be faithful. Listen in our scripture reading, how Paul described his ministry in chapter 4, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians. He says, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. You see, his aim was to please God, and so he would not speak lies on behalf of God. He didn't distort the message. Because when no one is pleased, when they're misrepresented, or when their words are twisted, That doesn't displease anyone, especially God. But God is pleased when we faithfully proclaim what he has spoken in his word. We are to preach the word rightly. That is true of the apostles. That is true of churches. That we speak on God's behalf, and so what we say matters. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul makes known that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he was committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, our message doesn't come from error because it comes from God. As we faithfully preach what God has spoken, we are only speaking the truth. And as we proclaim to the world to be reconciled to God, that is what God has called his church to do. So friends, if you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am glad that you are here. Y'all, our message might sound crazy that Jesus is the son of God, that he became man and that he died to save sinners, that he rose bodily, that all who trust in him are forgiven, are reconciled to God and have peace with God. That message sounds crazy, but yo, it is completely true. It is not a message that we have come up with. It is a message that has come from God. Totally true. And our appeal to you this very day is to believe in Jesus and be saved. There is no other way that you can be forgiven. There's no other way that you can have peace with God. It's not your church attendance. It's not your offering. It's not your good works. It is all dependent upon trusting in Jesus. And friends, this is what we would implore you this day. If you want, you can talk with any of our members after service. But we love having these conversations. Paul would say that our message is not from error. And neither is ours because we speak what God has said. And beloved, it is important for the church to be tethered to the text. We speak what God has spoken, and where God is silent, we don't talk. It is our responsibility to preach what God has proclaimed, what God has made known. We are to know it, and we are to communicate it, because we speak on God's behalf. And so if we have the responsibility to speak the gospel, it is important for us to know it, for us to be able to communicate it with one another. And one of the ways by which you can know for sure that you're rightly preaching the gospel is to get with other members in the congregation and rehearse communicating the gospel. To hear one another share the gospel and to give feedback. That is helpful in sharpening. Another way that you want to know, have this resource before you share your faith. This book is very helpful in helping us understand what the gospel is and know how to communicate it. So I have two copies. If you want, want one, you can see me after service. And so as we aim to please God, beloved, it requires that we be faithful in our message. But that's not all that it requires. It also requires that we be pure in our motives. Look what Paul says. He says, for our exhortation didn't come from error, or impurity, or an intent to deceive. Paul here, he refuted the accusations of insincerity and trickery. He makes known that he preached with sincerity and honesty. 
that he is not trying to get something from the Thessalonians. He is trying to give someone to the Thessalonians. And that's Jesus Christ. Paul makes known that his motives were good. And the reason why his motives were good is because God cares about our motives. He, he is concerned about the why behind the things that we do. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their ministry in having sinful motives. Think about Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. He says, you people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Scripture commands us to do everything, eating or drinking. We are to do all things to the glory of God. Our lives are to be oriented around God. To where he is glorious, we love him, and in everything, we want to glorify him. Beloved, don't think that God's only concerned with actions and that he doesn't care about intentions because he does. Whether we preach or serve, if we do it for popularity, gold, or glory, he sees it. He knows when we are using him and people for personal gain. And it displeases him because it's not motivated by love. Think about the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That means in everything that we do, in all that we are, is to be done out of love for God. Not only that, our motives are important because the one who we preach who we point to, who we reflect in his earthly ministry, everything he did was out of love for God and for his neighbor. If we're going to reflect our king properly, that must be our motive. Love for God and love for our neighbors. See, God cares about our content and our intent, our character and our conduct our service, and our motives. Here Paul defends his motives, and in verse 4, he speaks positively about his ministry and his motives. He says, instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. You see, Paul and his companions, they were approved by God. In this whole section, you'll see that God is active. He emboldened. He owns the gospel. He called the apostles. He tested them, examined them, and approved them. In this verse, that word approved, in the Greek, gets at testing. It's in the perfect tense, which makes known that the testing and the approving preceded the entrusting. Now, we don't know when God did this. We don't know how God did this, but we know that he did it. In his sovereignty, he has called them, he has saved them, he has examined them and commissioned them. It is his message, and so he alone chooses the messengers. The Thessalonians can be assured of Paul's pure intentions because God approved of him. His examination is more thorough than being vetted to serve as an FBI agent. You see, they check your background. They check your friends where God checks the heart. God isn't cavalier about his messengers because he's not cavalier about his message, the gospel, and the approval that God has given. It is purposeful. 
Look at verse 4. He says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. This gets at stewardship, where is the responsibility of stewards to properly manage and use something rightly. Because it belongs not to us, but to God. The gospel is under our care as we have been entrusted with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. We've been entrusted with the gospel, and we are to be, in faith. We are to be faithful. Y'all, this was true of the apostles. This is true of churches. So we protect and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is not to dress it up, but to faithfully proclaim the gospel. Y'all, we are mailmen, not editors. We don't alter the message in any way. We are to only faithfully deliver God's message to his people and God's message to the world. We have been tasked with the greatest responsibility ever to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest news that has ever been spoken. It is the greatest news that could ever be heard. For it is the only message that saves all who believe in Jesus. God in his grace has called us to be his instruments. We who are flawed and weak, he has called us. He strengthens us to where only God can use crooked sticks to hit straight licks. And that is what he does as we faithfully proclaim the gospel. Beloved, we have been entrusted. Which shows that we are his servants. We're not masters, we're servants. And a servant is to only be found faithful. And this entrusting, Paul goes on to say that we have been entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God. God who has saved us by his grace. The very God has given us this ministry of reconciliation, and so we speak for the pleasure and gladness of one, God. And it's because we love him. Beloved, when we love someone, their gladness, their pleasure is our joy. It is a joy to make God smile. And he has made known what makes him smile, is that we're to be faithful in doing what he commands us, and the posture is because we love him, because he is glorious. Beloved, the motives matter. We are servants, and so we are to aim to please our king. For he has graciously ransomed us. He is gloriously beautiful. He is worthy of our affection. So it is to be our joy to please him. Whether it's preaching or serving or teaching or administration, whatever it is. Beloved, may our joy be to please our king. For he is worthy and beautiful and wonderful and lovely. Paul makes known that we preach to please God. Who do we preach to? We preach to people, but we don't preach to please people. Because if we were to preach to please people, then we will distort the gospel. Man-pleasing preaching goes something like this, that you are good. That you're not 
that bad and you're not a sinner. That God only helps those who help themselves. And so you can earn God's favor and salvation. Beloved, if we were to say any of these things, we distort the gospel, we displease God, and we are leading people to destruction. You see, we don't speak to please people. Instead, we speak to persuade them of truth, that they are sinners, that God's wrath is real, that Jesus' death is sufficient, that Jesus did rise from the grave, that repentance and faith is necessary, that wrath is coming, and that you can flee by believing in Jesus. That message don't please man, but that message is the only message that is good for man. And so we preach not to please, but to persuade. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, brothers, knowing the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade others. And so we're to aim to preach. In our preaching, we're to aim to please God. The question for you to consider is who are you aiming to please in your ministry and in your preaching? Who? Some would say that they aim to please God and they are being faithful by God's grace, to which I would say praise God and keep at it. And beloved, also pray for pure motives as you continue. Others, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us ain't even speaking the gospel because we're aiming to please people. We are fearful of their rejection and criticism. We long for their approval. And so we are silent about Jesus around our family, our friends, and our coworkers. And y'all, when we do that, we are not concerned about God. We're not concerned about their salvation. We're only concerned about ourselves. And if that's where you're at, beloved, know that the Lord sees it. Know that it displeases him. Also know that Christ's blood shed, was shed for that. Don't let this conviction lead to self-condemnation. Because salvation is not by works. It is not by our preaching of the gospel. It is solely by grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. His blood was shed even for that. And also know that there is hope for restoration. Our silence in the past doesn't mean that we have to be silent in the present. The Lord really does strengthen us by his grace to where we can be bold about him. May our hearts be consumed with him and then may we speak about him. Beloved, if you are plagued with fear of man, as it relates to evangelism, one of the things I would really want to encourage you to do is to not only confess it to God, but confess it to fellow brothers and sisters in the church. That we may pray for one another in this. That we may encourage one another. That we may come alongside and seek to help one another. Strengthening one another in the Lord. That we may be bold for Jesus. So we are to preach to please God. We preach to people. We also preach before God, for he is examining us. Look at verse 4. It says, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. 
Y'all, our God is all-seeing and all-knowing. Our hearts on display before him like an x-ray. Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 20 says, But the Lord of armies who judges rightly, who tests the heart and the mind. Y'all, he sees our motives. He sees our deeds and our hearts. When we're, our motives are pure and impure, it doesn't get past him. Y'all, if this reality that God sees our hearts, he examines our hearts, it should incline us to examine our own selves, our very own motives for why we do what we do. Because in this social media age, it can be very easy to serve and to do ministry for the approval of others. Where significance is contingent upon influence, it could be easy to preach, pray, sing, serve, teach, do everything solely for the approval of others and not to please the Lord. And all of us are tempted in this because we live in this body of flesh. We are tempted to steal glory from God. And even as we start out with pure motives, Things can subtly change. I'm not, I'm sure you'd agree. But think about when you're commended for things that you have done, ways that you have served. Think about when somebody encourages you for your work. Within us, there is a temptation to do that very same thing the same way so that we can get that commendation again. This is why we need to take captive our thoughts. Humbly confessing, Lord, when we're desiring his glory, praying for humility and keeping our gaze upon Jesus Christ, seeking to reflect him. Beloved, if our ministry is going to be God-centered, we must be and remain in awe of God, consumed with his grandeur and greatness and glory. We must be enamored by the glory of Christ. Studying the life of Jesus because we reflect Jesus when our aim is to please God in everything. For during Jesus' earthly ministry, he said that his will was to do the will of the Father. He always did what pleases the Father. It was out of his love for the Father that he obeyed the Father. He was after the pleasure of God. And so may we reflect our King in that very same work having the same motive because we are consumed with him and because we love him. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Paul and them, they didn't sweet talk the Thessalonians, didn't gas them up, didn't use brilliant speech in order to milk them for their money or to gain a following. The Thessalonians could attest to Paul's ministry and God could attest to Paul's heart. That he wasn't using Jesus to exalt himself. His concern was the glory of God because he was a servant, not the master. You see, y'all, it's a real possibility to be in ministry for self to do God's work for our glory. Philippians chapter 1, Paul said that people preach the gospel out of selfish ambition, envy, and rivalry. 
y'all, these motives displease God and it provokes his opposition. Because God opposes the proud. He makes know that he will not give his glory to another. Y'all, this should sober us. Because we have the propensity to seek to steal glory from God. This leads us to daily seek to mortify, mortify our flesh. The question for us to consider is, can we say the same as Paul as it relates to our service in whatever ways that we serve? Can we say that we didn't seek glory from people? Can we say that we didn't use flattering speech or had an intent to deceive? And one of the ways that we know this is questions you can ask yourself. When you serve and after you serve, are you fishing for compliments? How do you respond when you are faithful but not commended? How would you respond if someone else was commended for the same service as you? Would you be envious or content? Who do you want people to be enamored with? God or yourself? Beloved, the pursuit of our own glory is futile. We created nobody. We saved nobody. The gifts that we have, we didn't come up with them, but they were given by God's grace. If you think about glory, they ain't going to be saying worthy are us. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, in heaven they are saying worthy are you, our Lord and God. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they are saying worthy is the Lamb. No one is going to sing our praises in glory. So may we not try to get people to sing our praises on earth. May we seek to have people sing the praises of the one who is glorious. That's only God. May that be our aim in everything that we do, for we are his servants. For his glory. Solely by his grace. Beloved, our ministry is to be done his way according to his purpose and our motive should be for his glory alone because we love him in response to his love for us. May our service be God-centered and not man-centered.